Welcome to another Health Trust Candid Conversation. I'm Krista Pardue. And I'm Luann Colbrook. This is a conversation with Clinical Advisory Board members, Rachel Bennett from Krista's Health and Erin Arnold from Stewart Health. We discuss how Health Trust ensures clinical directive within the Health Trust portfolio while maintaining national relationships among clinicians to establish standards of quality and value. We sure do hope you enjoy this conversation. So Luann, my first question to you is, what is the role of a clinical advisory board? Wow, thanks Krista. And um, you know, I'm lucky that I get to work actually with three service lines on the clinical advisory board process. Of course, radiology is my background. And so I work directly with the radiology advisory board, but I also have an administrative background in cardiology. So I'm lucky enough to also work with the cardiovascular advisory board, which is really focused more on interventional cardiology. And then a few years ago, I was blessed with the respiratory therapy specialty committee. And I do mean that sincerely because what a, what a unique group of individuals that really at the bedside give a delivery of care that's completely different from my world of cardiology and radiology. So I'm fortunate that I get to work with those three direct service lines, but I also get to see their roles play out within Health Trust in three very powerful ways. But Generally, the clinical advisory board members are made up of representatives within our health trust membership who are clinical experts. They not only are experts by their training, but by their experience and the work that they do currently. And they work with their health systems to really give us that clinical voice into the contracting process. Depending on the board, there's anywhere from 25 to 28 members of a clinical advisory board. And of course, we have them in all of our service lines. You, of course, lead the laboratory group, but we have counterparts in surgery as well as specialty committees in CVOR. Uh, we also have nursing advisory board, which also has specialties with infection prevention, advanced wound care, perinatal. And then there's also our teams in pharmacy and they have their operations and clinical teams in pharmacy. And then there's the non-clinical side, food and nutrition, facility and infrastructure. There's so many different advisory boards within Health Trust. But again, it's our members. It's our members who are out there working in the field, working with their facilities at the bedside, hands on the products, working with the equipment, who really then bring that clinical expertise into our sourcing process to really guide those conversation in where should the sourcing team be focusing their efforts in terms of categories, suppliers, services, et cetera. And so we work with them, as you know, on a daily but scheduled monthly basis to get that clinical voice. And so that's the big role of the clinical advisory board is really to bring that clinical voice into our sourcing process. Wow, Luann, that was an amazing explanation. I'm, I'm a board lead, and I feel like even I've learned something out of that clarity, so I appreciate that. All right, next thing we want to do is introduce our advisory board members that we have here. So first, I'm going to start off with Erin Arnold from Stewart Health. Erin uh, is a, a surgical nurse, and so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Erin and let her introduce herself just a little bit more. Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, my name is Erin Arnold. I am a clinical resource director. I'm a health trust employee, but I am uh, embedded in Steward Health. And I'm an OR nurse by background, and I've had a variety of leadership roles, educator roles, and clinical supply chain roles. And so with that, that's what the, I bring to our uh, value analysis program at Steward Health. So I manage 
and direct the whole surgical value analysis portfolio with Steward. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. And also we have with us one of our radiology advisory board members, Rachel Bennett with Christus Health. And I happen to know personally that she has a background in radiology and radiation oncology. So Rachel, if you'll introduce yourself and tell us more about your role at Christus Health. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So I am the service line director for capital at Christus Health. I also oversee our clinical engineering program and have the privilege of serving as our value analysis lead for radiology. Um, as Luann said, I do have a background in x-ray, CT, and radiation oncology. So that really helps as an advisory board member to speak clinically and make sure that our facilities have exactly what they need on contract. Great. Well, again, thank you both for being here. We, we appreciate not only your role on our advisory boards, but being able to spend some time with you. And just by the way, it's great to actually see you. Mm -hmm. We're not yeah. doing this virtually. It's a podcast, I know, but it's great to actually see you. We're sitting across the table. I know. Them. We're in the same room, folks, believe <laughs> so it or nice. not. Yeah, there's people outside of the podcast booth taking our picture and looking at us <laughs> like, uh, oh, what are they doing? So there's other people around, too. And that's Paparazzi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the clinical advisory board member paparazzi. I love it. I love that. All right. Uh, well, before we come back to Aaron and Rachel, Chris, Krista, will you um, elaborate a little bit more on how our boards function, what we do with them on a regular cadence so that we can get them engaged in that sourcing process? Absolutely. Our clinical boards are on scheduled monthly calls. Typically, those are phone calls or WebExes is what we're doing. But we also have scheduled quarterly meetings. In-person meetings is what the intent is, obviously not in the past year or so, but it's time to get back to those. So we will have those scheduled um, quarterly meetings where we bring them into Nashville so that we can have some in-person, usually a two-day meeting to go through um, all of the things we need to discuss and look at. And so with the calls and the meetings, we also have professional conferences, like we're at one right now. We're at Health Trust University, and so this is what's bringing us together. But then we'll also have our um, professional conferences that we'll all attend as well. So it gives us plenty of opportunity. But in addition to those scheduled things, we have emails. I mean, I know I'm emailing with my board at least weekly, if not sometimes daily, just having interactions with them, asking how things are going for them, asking their thoughts on particular strategies or issues that we're looking at. And so I try to stay interactive with my board. We actually also uh, phone calls. We try to call you, but we know you're, you're busy and you can't necessarily answer when we call immediately. But we do have um, constant interactions with our board. Great. So Aaron and Rachel, bring this to life for us. We've kind of introduced the role and kind of what we do on a monthly basis, but really talk about how you represent your IDN within your organization, your facilities, and how do you bring this to life? How do you really make this work? And I'll, whichever one of you wants to go first, have at it. So I'll start. Um, so at Christus, I have the privilege of overseeing our radiology clinical value analysis team. And my role there is to meet with our clinicians. We have a representative from every region um, that comes to this meeting. We talk about their clinical needs. We talk about the products that are meeting those needs and the products that maybe do not. Um, we talk about what's on the horizon as far as new technologies. And then I bring that information back to the radiology advisory board and work with that team to make sure that we can get products on contract that actually are clinically superior. 
So who are some of the members of your Christus Radiology Advisory Board, meaning by role? What do they do? So most of them are our directors of radiology. Um, they do work very closely with their physicians. Um, a lot of their, um, the cardiologists for interventional, we would get the interventional radiologists on board as well. Um, and then I actually, in my role, go on site and can meet with our clinicians as well. So we do have those directors that sit on the board and relay that information, but I also have in-person conversations with our physicians to talk about products, to meet them at their location and, and just kind of walk through what they're using, what, what they um, like about certain products and, and introduce them to other things that hospitals in, in our network do that maybe they don't. So this is a question that just comes to mind, might put you on the spot a little bit, but do radiologists and cardiologists, do they know what GPOs are and how they function and these value analysis teams and their roles and <laughs> things like that? Question. I mean, what, 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 are you, what do you hear within your organization? Because I know you've got different, we all have different physician groups at different hospitals. So kind of what's their take on the whole clinical involvement within determining product and value? So at first, um, we are just kind of the bad guys that tell them they can't buy what <laughs> right. they want. Right, right. Um, but then when I go on site and I actually meet with them and we talk about the advisory board, the role of our GPO and the importance of contracting and how it protects them um, as a physician and how it makes sure that the products that we're using on our patients really are clinically superior, they're on board. They understand and they're happy to try new things um, and, and bring in those demos, bring in those trials. Um, and we've actually done quite a few conversions just by having somebody go on site, uh, meet with the clinical um, team and, and walk through the process with them. But of course, at the beginning, it is just kind of, you're the person standing in the way of what I want. <laughs> right. Sounds familiar. Hmm. Yeah, very true. So um, at Steward, you know, we, I run the surgery value analysis team and it's a, it's a system-wide team and it's made up of OR directors. We have some materials folks. We have some COOs from some of our facilities too. So we have some really good uh, feedback I'm not able to go to the sites. I wish I could, but um, I'm not able to go to the sites, but we really do value that feedback. Typically, um, we look at, you know, when there's a category kickoff, I bring that to the team and we talk about, you know, these, these categories. So like, let's say, for example, something that we just actually completed, we did lap visualization and warming and we were working with the surgery board um, to evaluate. So we actually evaluated some of these products and we found that the, that there was actually more competition in the market and the competition was actually a little bit more superior to what we were currently using and provided value. So I took that information back to our team and we converted and we're, you know, our surgeons are happier and we're saving more money, but we look, we align ourselves to the work plan and with that, those categories. And so what we're doing is I'm taking those categories back to our team and saying, hey, let's talk about this category. It's up for review. Do you have any clinical issues? Are there, are there any new competitors out there in the market? What are you hearing from your clinicians, from your uh, surgeons? 
from, you know, from your suppliers? Are they providing good service? Are they not providing good service? Are there back orders? How's the supply? Is it disrupted? So we get all that information back and I share that with our board. And then it's really nice because you can actually feel validated with your other board members on things that are that are happening. And you also can share and collaborate with the others and say, hey, I'm working on this, you know, um, initiative. Does anybody have any, you know, information? Do they have experience, you know, with these certain initiatives? And boy, we really get talking and it's really great. And we can, you know, share stories and share successes and also listen to other people's barriers and things like that and, and kind of do some lessons learned so you can, so we help each other overcome those barriers. So it's really that's great. Um, so, Aaron, you mentioned the work plan, and we at Health Trust know that term quite well. We use it on a daily basis, and certainly the work plan is something we publish out to the Health Trust membership. We update it quarterly, and we put that out to the Health Trust membership. In your experience, and I would ask either one of you, and, and really this is not necessarily about your current IDN, but just in your experience in this type of role, is how do health systems, when they you know, join a GPO like Health Trust, do they already have a work plan in place and then they try to mirror the two together? Can you elaborate a little bit on how that works? Because, you know, sometimes at Health Trust, we're, we are driven, we are driven by that work plan for obvious reasons, but we want to make sure it also has alignment with our membership to bring them value at the same time. So if one or both of you can elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and elaborate because we are very in in step with the health trust work plan. So every year uh, we look at, um, at steward, we look at what's going to, what is coming up under, what categories are coming up for expiration next year. And so we look ahead and we say, okay, well, here are all these different uh, contract categories. And that's what kind of drives our work plan. We have certain steward initiatives also, like we're doing, uh, right now we're doing a total joint initiative. So that's a steward, you know, a steward health um, initiative. But then we're also kind of putting that in between, you know, some of our other uh, contract categories. So, you know, Trocars come up next year. So that's going to be a 2022 initiative. So we're going to look at that category. You know, is there opportunity for us, you know, with conversions? Is there any that we should be looking at? But but we go through and we are very lockstep with that work plan. And it's just aligned and we call it our initiative dashboard. And so it has the mixture of the contract categories and then our, our own steward initiatives. And then we, we assign them by quarter. Great. Thank mm -hmm. you for that. Well, and I'd say we pretty much do the same thing at Christus as well. We do have our own initiatives. I'm working on dosimetry badges right now. Um, but then in addition to that, we use the work plan to go through it and just reevaluate, make sure that we're standardized in the proper categories. Is there opportunity for additional savings by moving to two suppliers instead of five? Um, and we just use that work plan as our guide. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So on our next question, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit um, and try to get some responses on what are the mechanisms or exercises that you guys would go through to evaluate products? What is it that you use that would help you to understand that these products and, and what operationally their impact will be or clinically how relevant they are to what we're looking for? 
I think for me, the biggest help is when we have our supplier presentations, when they go through and, and talk about the products. Um, and then I take that back to the facilities and ask them, here's what the supplier said. Is that what you're seeing when you use this item clinically? Um, and then if it's not, we'll go back to the supplier and say, look, Christus has used this and we're not seeing those outcomes. Maybe we just need more training. Maybe there's a flaw in the product. I'm not sure, but it, it gives us that validation before we actually commit to something that, that it does do what it says it does. And we, we try to leverage too, like the, the whole membership as well uh, and, and clinically validating. So if there are other facilities who are doing these initiatives and they're successful, then we have that support from, from each other and we can say, oh my gosh, well, this worked for them. It could work for us too. And so that's kind of how we leverage the membership as well and making sure that if, if, if there are multiple IDNs using these supplies products, then, you know, we know that that it's clinically acceptable, you know, at other places. So it should be clinically acceptable at ours. Right. And so those product uh, evaluations and validations are very important, especially with physician preference items. And so how we attack that is we basically say we want your clinical validation. Is this clinically acceptable? Yes or no. And if it's not, why is it because you don't want to change and that's why it's not clinically acceptable? Or is it because this is a different technique or is it truly a subpar product? And we really want to know that and bring that back to our board as well. So All right. thank you. Okay, so Luann, I want to direct the next question to you, if you will, and give us some guidance and understanding of what happens when a supplier doesn't bring the value that we're expecting to see. Oh my goodness, shame on them. But <laughs> in, in all seriousness, um, you know, we really try hard to establish partnerships with our suppliers on behalf of our members. Certainly these last 18 months of surviving the pandemic, uh, we've really seen a lot of strain on the infrastructure of everything, manufacturing, delivery. And you know, it's really not even been the pandemic. It could be something in a canal that gets stuck. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we really learned a lot and looking at kind of the other side, if you will, of what is going on to even bring that product to market. So if a supplier doesn't bring value, is it really that they won't bring value or they can't bring value? And so we, we need to make sure we understand that because sometimes it feels like they won't, but we really need to understand what's going on behind the scenes there um, in, in their supply chain in order to get raw material to bedside product. So as we work through that process and we understand those conversations, this is also a very key role of our clinical advisory board members because their voice is what's used to advocate on behalf of the entire membership to develop a strategy that will bring value or improve the value in some form or fashion. Because again, it's a conversation of understanding. Sometimes too, one person's perception of value doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be an easy process on the other end to recognize that value. So there's, there's a lot of conversations that take place there. But our board members, we have them meet with suppliers and certainly, you know, you mentioned conferences, professional associations, that sort of thing. And we do spend a lot of supplier FaceTime with our board members there, which is fantastic. 
typically our suppliers are prepared for that. They're excited and oftentimes, you know, honored to have the opportunity to have some private FaceTime with our clinical advisory boards, but it really gives our board members the chance to be face-to-face -face with the supplier, to have those um, dynamic, spirited debate type conversations with us so that the suppliers can understand from the voice of their customer, our member, what's going on at the bedside in the facilities, the hardships associated with, you know, delivering high quality, safe patient care. And so those face-to-face -face supplier conversations with our board members are invaluable. And again, it's something that they're doing that they're advocating on behalf of the membership. Sometimes it's really taking advice from our board members to have a change in strategy. Do we really do need to do conversions? Do we need to do product evaluations? To your point, Erin, earlier, are things really the same or really are they not the same? And so we use those board members, again, in that role to really kind of help us guide product evaluations, product trials. We work with our board members to get product into the facility to be able to trial those. Or we, again, we have them at a live conference to be able to look at product hands-on. I mean, we, we've seen not only our board members, but staff members as well, trying on products, putting on products, you know, taking caps off of products, poking needles into oranges, and all sorts of fun things like that. But again, it's the board member's voice that really guides that because they, they are that hand that actually uses that product. Sometimes too, it's really a conversation with the board member and senior leadership of that organization. Because uh, even though we continue to message through the supplier, the hardships that our members are going through, Sometimes that message doesn't get all the way up to a level that it needs to get to. And I will tell you very recently, uh, one of my groups had this um, opportunity to be on a phone call. It was a conference call with senior leadership with an organization. And I'll tell you, at the end of that 30 minutes, it wasn't a lengthy call, 30 minutes was enough, believe me. Um, but at the end of that 30 minutes, it was clear from one of the senior leaders of that organization that they did not realize the impact that this was making on a broad base of our hospitals. Um, now, they didn't correct the problem right away from our perspective, but they did apologize and they had to take it back, of course, to their leadership uh, in another country. But it really brought to light um, some significant bedside patient care issues that our members were going through that was impacting them financially. And, and it was a hardship that they just couldn't bear. So getting for 30 minutes that clinical advisory board on a phone call with the senior leadership, the U.S.-based senior leadership, definitely made, it, made an impact. So again, they're advocates on behalf of the membership. And so um, if, if that's why I jokingly said at the beginning, oh my, because there's opportunities and ways for us to use our members through the clinical advisory board process to really relay that message of what's going on within our healthcare system to those suppliers to have them kind of go back and look at a way to bring value. Anything either one of you want to elaborate on that? I can elaborate just really quick. We, um, on the surgery advisory board, you know, when we have supplier presentations, you know, I've, we've experienced that where, where there's real-time feedback with their senior leadership, like, hey, why are you guys doing this? You know, this is not helping our membership. It's actually impacting our bottom line. It's impacting our patient care. 
don't do that, you know, and, and it's, and those are tough conversations and they're really tough. You know, I, you know, you feel bad for the person on the other side getting that message, but it really does resonate and we see changes and, you know, we, it's, it's a two way street. We want to understand from both directions, how that is impacting, you know, patient care and also the supplier too. And I'll say, I recently sat on one of these calls and it was very passionate. Um, I, I kind of felt for our supplier, but we didn't hold back. We were very honest and upfront. And, and we just said, look, we've gone through COVID. We've had to make lots of changes internally with our clinical practice. Um, and we have partnered with you and we have committed to you during all this without any change. We expect the same from you. We expect you to commit to us. Yes, great. Right, yes, so you, you were. That was a powerful conversation. So it, I'm so glad you were on that call with us. Thank you for having that conversation. So I want to direct a question to our advisory board members here. Um, in regards to alignment and leveraging scale, when we make a decision, we're making a decision as a health trust as a whole rather than our individual facilities. So therefore, that alignment is extremely critical. Why is aligning the board so critical to the success of the award decision? So I'll go ahead and start with that. Um, at Christus, we're very contract compliant. Um, if it's not on contract, you better provide a clinical reason why the product you want to purchase is superior than what's on contract with Health Trust. And so because we take that hard line with our facilities, we want to make sure that anything and everything on contract will meet their clinical needs. So it's really important to us to make sure that we have the best products on contract so that um, we can enforce that contract compliance, leverage our negotiating volume, get additional savings for our health system, um, and still provide the best clinical outcomes. Yeah, so I'll just kind of circle back to what I was saying before, like leveraging that membership to just really align ourselves clinically. You know, it's, it's so important to connect with your peers and to see how they're using the products. And, and it, it's just, it's just so scalable. So if you have these contract categories and, you know, it, it, it's just making sure that we are providing clinically acceptable, equivalent and superior products to our membership. And, and that's so important um, to leverage the, the scale of the membership. So. Yeah. yeah. Great. So let's talk about portfolio coverage. You know, we, we mentioned the work plan and, uh, all other facets around that. Let's talk about portfolio portfolio coverage because you guys are so important to us um, to making sure we stay clinically relevant in sourcing with what's needed at the bedsides, whether it be uh, you know new technologies, new services, whatever that might be. So can you guys share with us about portfolio coverage, your thoughts around that and expansion of that? Um, so... There's a lot of emerging technologies out there, you know, category expansion. So like, for example, uh, Spine comes to mind. There's a lot of vendors and they do provide um, a lot of clinically equivalent products, but some are more competitive in price than others. And so what's really nice is that um, Health Trust can provide that coverage. And so that way we can uh, keep our contract compliance 
Um, also, another thing to small joints and shoulders, they were combined or they were combined and now they're separated because they're, you know, their surgeons do different things. So usually the shoulder surgeons will do shoulder surgeries and then we have small joints and it's a whole different type of orthopedic surgeons and podiatry. And so it's really nice to kind of align with what the clinical practice is out there. And then I'll, I'll jump in and say that um, with my radiation oncology background, um, it's been hard in the past to contract for um, any of those items because none of the GPOs have really taken that category and made broad portfolios out of it. So um, I'm really excited that I get to be part of the subcommittee for radiation oncology as we do implement that new category. Um, and then recently the radiology advisory board worked with the surgical advisory board and we put together neurovascular um, devices. And so we now have contract for that. It's a category expansion and it's a huge category. So we're, we're hoping to see a lot of saving in that. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, you bring up a good point. Our advisory boards don't necessarily work in silos. Obviously that doesn't work that way in the hospitals. And so we certainly are not gonna try to silo that way at Health Trust. So yeah, when we have products or services that cross across multiple service lines, then definitely we are engaging both of those. We don't want, for example, radiology to be the sole decision maker of something when there's a heavy surgery involvement as well and vice versa, again, against, against all of them. So thank you for referencing that. And, and thank you for helping us expand the portfolio. That is something that's very important to us to be able to do for our membership. So yes, please, please keep those ideas coming so we can get that um, sourced for you. All right, so we're about to wrap up here. So Krista, other things the board does, can you elaborate and talk about best practices or conversions, things like that for us? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm quite proud to get this question because I have a really good example of a laboratory advisory board stepping outside of the standard operations of what we do. So when COVID first came about, um, Health Trust redeployed all of their staff. We were all doing different jobs. And with that said, some sourcing projects were put on hold. And with that, that meant that we didn't necessarily need to conduct or hold all of our standard monthly scheduled calls with the advisory boards because, well, we didn't have the sourcing events going on. But the laboratory advisory board asked that not only do we keep those calls, but we needed them more than ever. So we had those calls every month for the next three or four months without sourcing events involved. But it was more of a best practice. It was, what are, what are you doing about COVID testing? How are you doing this? Where are you getting supplies from? Who's getting allocations? What do your allocations look like? How are you triaging people? And so those were the types of, of things that we had in that discussion. And it, it was amazing camaraderie. But the other good thing about that to me is they were going through one of the most challenging times they've ever faced in their career. And if nothing else, they were able to vent to people who understood what they were going through. So just the opportunity for them to have discussions, you know, to just feel better, at least know there weren't the only ones out there that were struggling and get some other ideas from other people. You know, how are you doing this and trying to figure it out? So to me, that was amazing four months going through that and having those board members adamantly attending those calls to hear those types of things. So we do a whole lot more than the things that we described earlier. But those are our core focuses. It's just keeping in mind that these are all clinical people who are all operating facilities and they all have input. And it's essential to do that. And then when you also see things like group emails come across, is anybody experiencing this? How are you handling that? Anybody seen this new technology out there? You know, sometimes you might be the first one to let us know that it's out there. 
And then some others might be, yeah, we did see that, but let's look at that as a, as a board member. Is it a potential expansion opportunity? So there's just a, a lot more interactions that we try to continue with the board outside of our standard sourcing opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we do meet with our boards on a monthly basis, but when we get over this pandemic, endemic, whatever it's called now, we're going to get back to our cadence of seeing them on a quarterly basis where we actually bring them into the health trust office and or we're attending a conference together. And you mentioned networking, and that is something that we really love to see amongst our clinical advisory board members is when they are together, the networking that just happens automatically amongst clinicians from different IDNs, sometimes from even with the same city competing IDNs, but coming together collaboratively as clinicians, working in the best interest of everybody, all health trust members. And so you're right, there's so much more that goes on with the clinical advisory board processes, but the, the networking oftentimes is a comment that we hear is the icing on the cake when they actually finally get together. Great analogy. That's perfect. It's perfect. I mean, we all have the same goal. We want to provide the best value to our patients, right? So we all have the same goal, even if we're competing against each other. We still want to, we're clinicians, right? We want to take care of patients and we just want to provide the best care possible. And so I think collaborating and networking is so important. And it's really, truly an honor to be on the board and provide that opinion, um, especially, you know, having your own IDN behind you and, and sharing your voice. So I think it's I think it's an honor and I'm very thankful to be a part of it. Well, Aaron, Rachel, we can't thank you enough for hanging out with us for a little while today and talking about our passion, the clinical advisory board process, more so really the members are our passion. So thank you so much for your input. We are honored to have you both as part of our processes. So Again, have fun and thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank, I thank really you for appreciate having us. Yes. Taking the time. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health Trust Candid Conversations Podcast. Please visit healthtrustpg.com/slash the source or Apple Podcasts to listen to more of our candid conversations.